Welcome to Musicians Life Podcast. This podcast features interviews with a diverse group of musicians in different fields of the music industry, and my intent is that the audience will gain something from each guest story. Today's episode is the first episode of Season 2. Season 2 will feature bi-weekly episodes from now until June 1st, 2017. Today's guest is China Fox. China Fox is a Boston-based vocalist, writer, producer, engineer, and all-around musical badass. Her single Priorities had over 63,000 spins on Spotify, and you should look for her mixtape coming this March. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusicianslifepodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. I sat down with China Fox at her place in Boston last summer. Candy, good to see you, and uh, thanks. To, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. So let's start a little bit about. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. So, when you were growing up, were your parents like playing music in the house? Yeah. Um... Do you mean, were they playing instruments or were they just playing? Either way, like what was happening in your house musically when you were growing up? Um, it was kind of both. My mom is not really a musician, but my yeah. dad grew up singing in church. He sang at like in barbershop quartets. He mm-hmm. sang in um, the choir in high school and college. And he also accompanied a lot of choirs because he was really good at sight reading. Okay. Um, so he's a pianist as well? Yeah, as well. but yeah. he didn't really play when we... I mean, when we were really young, he used to play. Yeah. But he kind of got caught up in, you know, having yeah. a family and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So he he stopped um, playing after probably I was like five or six. Okay. But musically, yeah, there was always something playing. Right. And what, what were your parents listening to in the house? We really only listened to black artists growing up. Yeah. Like a lot of Motown, um, Aretha, Stevie, Michael, mm-hmm. Whitney, uh, Mariah Carey, Brian McKnight was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mostly like soul and R&B in my house. Okay. And so uh, what was your actual first instrument? Piano. Piano. So yeah. how old were you when you started piano lessons? Um, my dad came home one night. It was Christmas Eve. And he had like a tiny, like 40 key Casio keyboard. Yeah. yeah. And he put it, because I didn't have a keyboard stand or anything. He right. just like put it on the ground and he got it for me. And that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. It had all the little stickers with the letters, like yeah. the notes on yeah. it. Um, so yeah, that was like my first instrument. And so how old were you then? I was 10. Cool. So uh, did you start exploring that keyboard kind of on your own and the different sounds it had and all that kind yeah, of... Yeah, I did that, but also it had demo songs. Yeah. So <laughs> I would play those and yeah. pretend that I was playing. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I, I learned how to listen and play by ear. Okay. Because of that, because I wanted to learn those demo songs. Right. Even though they were like cheesy. Sure, and, yeah. You know, but I was like, that sounds really cool. I want to be able to make that. Right. You know, on my own without pushing play or anything. Sure. So, yeah. so, so... um. So you had the keyboard. Did you at some point start taking some like formal instruction on the keyboard? No, never. No. Okay. I wasn't um, formally trained until I got to Berkeley. Okay, cool. So so you had this keyboard in the house. You had a lot of cool music happening. Um, uh, were you like singing in any groups or like with the family or like yeah. church or anything? My dad was a music director at our church. Okay. So from the time I was like, 10 until I was like 16, 17, I was singing in church. I was singing in 
um, choirs. I was singing for like coffee shops, like mm-hmm. in open mic nights and stuff. Yeah, at the my, church. Yeah, yeah, well, that and like just around, like locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and where are you from, by the way? Uh, I grew up a lot of places. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I, my dad was in the army uh-huh. when I was little, and then we just moved because of like job sure. transfers and things like that. Sure. So technically, I'm from the south. Okay. Um, I, I was born in Arkansas. Okay. And then we just moved around like the Bible Belt, okay. basically like sure. the Midwest, and then. I've lived in Mexico as well, hmm, and then okay. I lived in Rochester, New York for a while. So kind of like all over the place. Yeah, That's all right. it's a very long list. Cool, cool. <laughs> and so going back to the singing in church, like, uh, so was your dad teaching? Like, was were you reading music, or was he teaching just like giving you notes or different parts and like? The first time my dad ever gave me a music lesson was the last time he ever gave me a music <laughs> okay, lesson because okay. it ended in tears. Okay. okay. Um, and so basically, I just. Um, I learned a lot from just listening. Mm-hmm. Like he would have guest people come in and sing yeah. at the church or if it was like a family gathering or barbecue or whatever, somebody would hop on the piano or start singing and playing mm-hmm. guitar or something. So I learned a lot just from listening to really, really, really good people yeah. or good at the time, sure. you know, yeah. and there was this place in Missouri called the Independence Coffee Street yeah. shop and okay. they would have every Saturday they would have like an open mic night. Uh-huh. And we met this one lady, and her name was Ruth. Uh-huh. Um, my mom was a personal trainer. She uh-huh. is a personal trainer. So she helped her with, like, um, yoga and one-on-one just training sessions. And so right. then she, Ruth heard that we could play music and that we were learning. And so she actually gave us some lessons, you know, just showing my brother, like, C, G, A, D on a guitar. Sure. Like, not even, you yeah, know, anything. Yeah. But she was a really big inspiration because she was basically, like, like Tracy Chapman yeah. to us. She was a very like classic woman. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like when I started, I guess. When you were in middle school, were you like participating in any public school music programs at all? Did you play any instruments mm. in the band or anything? No, I was homeschooled for nine years. Oh, okay. Yeah, because cool. we moved so much. Yeah. So from second grade until sophomore year in high school, I was homeschooled. Okay. So technically, no. Right. But that's why we did so much with the church. Right. Okay, cool. So when you were a teenager, like, what were some artists that, like, really, like, you responded to, you really enjoyed? Um, I've always responded with, I've always resonated with Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Because, like, he, he's written about every topic under the sun, basically. So him, um, I loved Mariah Carey for her, like, vocal stamina, her everything vocally. Like, she's, like, the queen. Yeah. Yeah, um, her, I loved Whitney, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, I just really, re- like, that whole era of, like, from, like, the 70s, I guess, through, like, the 90s yeah. really resonated with me. Yeah. And then also Lauryn Hill. I really uh-huh. liked her twist on, like, R&B and, like, hip-hop, mm-hmm. how she kind of fused those two genres together. So album-wise, was... Like the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, like kind of like a classic album to you. Yeah, that one know. and like her unplugged the, album. The, du- she, the double disc. Yeah, you yeah. get to like hear her intimate thoughts and like not just listen to her sing, which is great. You know, yeah. she's a great singer, but I I more um, I guess relate to like her lyrics and the way that she brings her story to life mm-hmm. um, through music, but also the the insight I guess she had. Yeah. On, and her philosophy on life. Cool, and. I'm curious, like, what was, was there a concert that you saw, like, around that age 
around that age that like really resonated with you with you or impressed you? I think it was more being on the other side of it because uh-huh. I was performing a lot at that point. Okay. Um, since I was twelve, I've been performing. So yeah, I think being on stage and and feeling that that feeling that you get when an audience applauds or stands up or gives you a, you know a standing ovation or something like that. That's just like you can't describe it. Yeah. It's like euphoric, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so that I was on that side of it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what made me more drawn to like music and and wanting to learn more about not just music but also myself through music. Mm-hmm. I guess. And was that mainly like at like at church or in the coffee houses, like you mentioned? Yeah, it was that, and also my brother um, and I had a band, and we okay. would sell out shows, which was pretty cool. So let's talk about that. What did your brother play? Um, he plays banjo, guitar. Um, he plays a little bit of bass uh-huh. and he plays, um, he can kind of play piano, but okay. <laughs> so, and so what was, he, so, and then the band, you were just singing, playing piano? Or? I was singing and just doing like percussion. It was a very like alternative, like bluegrassy type of thing. Okay. So were you playing original music or were yeah. you playing some covers? Okay. He actually wrote like 80% of the songs. Is he older than you? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about playing shows in your middle school with your brother. So, uh, like, how did you get started as a group, like, playing playing out? Um, well, we've played music together since we both could basically pick up an instrument. Yeah. Um, but he was the one, actually, that would book the shows. Okay. Because I think, as far as I can remember, he would kind of get in contact with somebody who knew the venue manager or, mm-hmm. like... I, I don't really remember because at that point he was in charge of it right. and I was just like, right. ah. You were just going along to the gig. Yeah, I was like, oh, cool, we have a gig. Like, right. I didn't think about the logistics behind right. it. Um, and so I can't really answer that right. question. Right. So, like, how often were you playing? Like, a couple times a month or just occasionally? or Sometimes it was occasionally, but there was, like, at least two years where we were playing, like, Three times a month, probably, oh, which busy. is yeah. kind of a lot. It's a lot like, for a middle school kid yeah. playing, a, playing some gigs. So, um, did those gigs generate like any kind of income for you? A couple of them did because they were just like tips. Yeah, we weren't but, actually. Yeah. Um, we weren't like paid by the venue until we started like headlining the shows. Yeah, but that wasn't until high school. Okay, and um, did you make any recordings of that group? Yeah, I don't know where they are. Where they are? Okay. <laughs> They're okay, long cool. gone at this point. All right, cool. So let's move into high school. So you mentioned that uh, you started uh, public high school in 10th grade? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Um, so at that time, did you like participate in the, in the music program at all in your high school? Was there music theory or anything yeah. that you could access? Um, the high school that I went to got as much funding for like the football and sports programs as it did the arts programs oh, excellent. which was really cool excellent um, and where was that that was in bentonville arkansas okay so they had the walmart money um Sweet. and so our choir program had 13 choirs at the time wow. i think now they have like 17 or something like that but yeah at the time there were for my grade there was only there were like three choirs you could be in yeah as a sophomore and i auditioned like the the day that school started, because we didn't register till late, mm-hmm. but the day that school started, I auditioned for a man named Terry Hicks, mm-hmm. and he put me in like sophomore select, which was like the best choir you could be in as a sophomore, and I yeah. had no idea. I was like not trained in any way, yeah. and so he just threw me in that one, and 
Um, so I was in that one, and then I was in probably three or four more, like, throughout high school. Okay. Um, and then I also did musicals. Right. And so what were those, what style of music was, was it like? Was the it choir? In the choir, yeah. Um, he did everything. He did Moses Hogan, Eric Whitaker. He did anything that kind of just moved him because yeah. he would choose the pieces. Right. And sometimes because our school was so highly revered as like a choral school, mm-hmm. we, um, our choir got commissioned to do a lot of songs mm-hmm. from certain composers or, or people who wow. wanted that, um, composer's estate to have a recording of us. Right. Because, you know, like, if a composer passed away or something like that. Um, right. We did a lot of, like, competitions. Uh-huh. Um, like, Allstate and stuff like that. Yeah. So, did you try out? Did you do try out for, like, Allstate or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. I used to do tryouts for Allstate. I, I'm not very good at auditions. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got in Berkeley because it's like <laughs> okay. taking a test for me. I just... Right. It's hit or miss. You right. know, either right. I knock it out of the park or it's, like, yeah. zero. Totally. <laughs> did you have a, uh, like, a vocal teacher or anyone that you worked on one-on-one with? I had like two lessons with Mr. Hicks. Uh huh. Like for outside of the school. Yeah. Privately. But yeah. Other than that, I didn't really have anything other than like the band and listening to other people, you know, in live performances yeah. and stuff. I didn't have any formal training. Yeah. And were you like throughout high school? Were you also like keeping up on the piano? Were you still like? Did yeah. you get an upgrade from that Casio at any point? <laughs> um, I upgraded to a Yamaha. Nice. <laughs> and it was the one with like the light up keys. All right. So not much of an upgrade. But a little bit, yeah. But yeah, I used to actually sit in the dark and because it lit up, I would like memorize songs oh, okay. by closing my eyes and right. like listening to what I was playing. Okay, cool. So when it came time for you to consider going to college, like did you know for sure you wanted to study music or were you entertaining any other options? Um, yeah, I was entertaining a lot of options towards like acting or mm-hmm. screen writing um, because I was very heavily, aside from music, I was heavily into theater. Mm-hmm. So I was looking into that and um, I was looking into like NYU and, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just knew deep down that it wasn't my first love. Yeah. So I think for me, it's always been this like deep rooted fact about myself like i'm a musician music is what i do cool so um when consider like what colleges did you consider when you were looking around i considered belmont because it was close it's in tennessee Mm -hmm. i considered um nyu just because i heard they had a really good music program Mm -hmm. juilliard um full sail and then honestly i didn't even audition for berkeley until Mm -hmm. like the last minute possible okay (laughs) So, yeah, so what's that story? So how did you end up uh, going to Berkeley? Uh, I didn't even really know what Berkeley was. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend went to the five-week program that I knew from Mexico. Mm-hmm. He's a drummer, and he told me, oh, yeah, I just went to this music school in Boston. It was really cool, and they have a five-week, like, summer program. And he said they basically give you, like, fake classes mm-hmm. so you could see what it's like to go to the school. And I was yeah. like, I didn't think much of it because that was, like, three years before I actually auditioned for Berkeley. Okay. So I had to look more into Berkeley and like what it was about. And I, um, I auditioned for like a few different schools, but all of them were really classical and really like choral based. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to, like they wanted you to become a choral director or yeah. some sort of like choral composer. And that's just like not me yeah. at all. Sure. So when I went to Berkeley, I kind of felt the vibe a little bit more. Like I came up to Boston for like three days, mm-hmm. um, and I 
as soon as I heard about the MP&E program, that's like, I was like, this is where I want to go. Right. So can you explain what that program is for anybody that doesn't yeah. know? Yeah. So MP&E stands for Music Production and Engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's essentially a program that teaches you how to engineer a recording studio or how to deal with um, the behind the scenes side mm-hmm. of the industry. Like everything you hear um, in a song had to be created in some way. And, right. And recorded and so that's kind of what you learned throughout the process and also how to use all the gear and all that stuff sure um so so you came out to boston and when you were visiting for those three days did you like get to take a tour of the studios or like any um, of that or yeah well i did the audition okay um while i was here and they gave us like a brief tour mm-hmm. of the school at the time there was no like big new building that they have now yeah. or anything. it was all like pretty danky and like oh, <laughs> kind yeah of tell gross. me about it yeah. <laughs> yeah um so yeah i did get like a brief tour of the okay studios. and when you did your audition it was so you did a vocal audition yeah um do you remember what you sang i sang i think i sang a song that i wrote which i don't remember anymore cool. <laughs> um and then i think i sang uh his eyes on the sparrow cool and at that time like uh did you read music were you reading music? Mm-mm. Okay, cool. Couldn't read a lick. <laughs> cool. Um, excellent. I'll, I want to include that because I think that's so important for especially vocalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really not important, honestly, unless you're like a jazz right. singer or you come into like a Broadway type session type and they say, yeah. can you just, you know, sing this? And it is really important if you do know it. Like that right. makes you 10 times more valuable, but it's not like a necessity yeah you know because so if you're a trained singer you can hear something and sing it back yeah or you should be able to yeah exactly Uh, did you live in the dorms like right away or Mm where did you live no i lived off campus i lived on park drive okay um, because they are like first come first serve with the dorms so Mm -hmm. at that point also it was going to be a lot more expensive to live in the dorms Mm -hmm. um something to keep in mind too because yeah definitely that adds up yeah um so you came, did you start in the fall of... 2009. Okay, cool. So uh, you arrived in Boston, you were living on Park Drive, you started to take classes. What were you up to musically? Were you like composing or like working on tracks? Like what were you doing yourself musically at the time? When I first got into yeah, Berkeley? Yeah, when you first came to Berkeley. I was just trying to figure out which way was up. Right, right. Because <laughs> I got here and everybody was better than me. Yeah. Way better than me. Yeah. Everybody could read music or read some sort of lead sheet, which I didn't know what a lead sheet was. Right. Um, or a chart or anything. So I basically was just scrambling to catch up right. when I first got in. Right. Um, I'd never taken any sort of ear training. So the whole like conducting and singing, singing the part yeah. at the same time was crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so and how, yeah. About, how about music theory? Did you work on music theory at all? I took one music theory class okay. before. Before Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were taking a lot in, it sounds like you were... Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was scared to death. I was like, I don't know if this is where I should be. <laughs> right. I mean, it's fun, and I'm meeting a lot of people, and I'd never lived in a big city before, mm-hmm. so it was very rewarding, but also terrifying at the same time. Yeah. And um, so, would, were you able to like meet like a group of people that you like connected with and started to make some music with, or not at first? Not at first. No. Yeah. There was a lot of like, "Hey, want a jam?" or yeah, like, sure. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of bunkered down for the first eight to ten months, just trying to learn how to sight read and how to conduct and just the basics that yeah, Berkeley sure. kind of requires you to know. Yeah. Going in, so I I mostly just was 
studying and doing homework and stuff like that was pretty right. boring. The first. Uh, that's cool. And <laughs> yeah. also, I'm, I seem to remember like from my friends that also did MPE that did you have to apply to do MPE like within the school as well? And yeah. can you talk about that? <clears throat> well, at Berkeley, you can't apply for certain majors uh-huh. until you've done a certain uh, amount or type of class. Yeah. So I couldn't even um, like apply for MPE until I was a soft or the end of my sophomore year at Berkeley mm-hmm. because I didn't have all the like prereqs. Okay. So, um, I apply, I actually applied twice. Okay. Because they have a very limited number. Like mm-hmm. they would only, um, accept a hundred people and like 300 would apply mm-hmm. every semester. Mm-hmm. So it came down to like grades usually. Okay, cool. Um, and so let's talk about MPE a little more. So like when you got into MPE, like, um, I'm curious about like if you had been, did you already have like a Pro Tools setup or a small home recording setup that you had been like working with and experimenting with? Um, a little bit. I mean, I didn't know very much about in home recording at yeah. all. Just kind of like the little bits that I did with like Logic because I kind of taught myself how to use Logic before I got into MPE because mm-hmm. I was sick of GarageBand. I yeah. didn't want to use it anymore. So I learned that. I learned how to like rewire with reason or other auxiliary programs Mm -hmm. um and so yes and no because i didn't have like you know um, a fixed or soundproof room or anything sure yeah i knew how to basically record like basic vocals in a basic guitar or Mm -hmm. something like that right and in the mpe program when you did it did you have to do like like i seem to remember like playing on sessions for like a lot of like sound alike projects Mm -hmm. and like that did you do all that kind of stuff yeah i mean everybody was required to take those classes like sound alikes the jingles mm-hmm. um the uh what was the other one oh like the 320 your own production mm-hmm. um where you run it to tape right so yeah i did all of those so when you do that production where you run it to tape were you are you actually running it like through pro tools and then to tape or is it are you doing it like directly to tape like really old school style you were basically because tape's really expensive now right so you were just using it as like a monitor but okay. it printed onto the tracks so you got the analog sound, sound and that was it, yeah. the whole idea was they didn't want they didn't want you to be able to like cut stuff and edit it i mean you could because it was printed in pro tools right but you weren't allowed to go in and like you know change the, the multi-track and like the edits and like right fades and stuff like that right cool so everybody did it but you weren't supposed, <laughs> was to. supposed to yeah do you remember what your project was um yeah i did a project with this guy named khalil overton Mm -hmm. um he used to play for howl at the moon and well he still does but in new york now um piano player yeah vocalist yeah yeah he's really good he plays that he plays bass drums i think he plays a little bit of guitar too Mm -hmm. but yeah i did i used to think he was like this amazing songwriter he still is but Mm -hmm. i was like wow this guy's good so i need to like record him so he was always my like in MPE, you always had like one or two go-to artists. Right. Like everybody had it. Like oh, and at Berkeley, people love to say they're my producer, you know. Right. And um, so I was like his producer. Right. So that was kind of how that worked. And um, I'm curious, like, during the process of studying music production engineering at Berkeley, like, did you like get into like like or learn about like classic albums like that were recorded there? Like, I'm thinking back on like. I don't know, like when I was at Berkeley, like Voodoo had just come out. Mm-hmm. So everybody was like freaking out about that and how that was recorded. And like, you know, and then like people were, you know, constantly talking about like the classics, like like 
Abbey Road or Songs of the Key of Life or like yeah, um, Mac or in a, I mean with some stuff yeah, but everybody seemed like there was this vibe at Berkeley where everybody was like, oh yeah, he's the man or that was a killing album or things like that. So mm-hmm. I kind of tried to stay away from like the cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've listened to them and I right. appreciate them for what they are and what they did at that period in time. Mm-hmm. But I was always trying to like get away from it and listen to new stuff mm-hmm. and listen to like, okay, what's going to be popular in like two years from now right right instead of kind of going back because i found that a lot of engineers at berkeley have that old school sound now right which in some ways is kitschy and cool right but then it just sounds dated right you know like a lot of recordings would sound dated to me right um and so let's talk about what you're doing like musically outside of mpd while you're at berkeley so did you ever like have like an original project or a band that you played in outside of school yeah, I had my own band, and I was also teaching 12 kids. 12, like, vocal students, or? Yeah, little kids. Little like, kids. from ages, like, 3 to 12. Okay, cool. So they were, some of them learned, wanted to learn piano, some wanted to learn how to sing and play. Cool. Some wanted to just sing. Was that through the city music program? No, or I just it, did it. Just did it? Yeah, I met this this one lady, um, I think I posted on the Berkeley site. Yeah. Um, the career thing uh-huh. that I could teach vocal lessons or, or piano. And I right. guess she found my contact information from there and called me up and asked if I'd be interested in teaching her girls. Nice. She had two girls. I think they were like four and six. And did they live in Boston? Yeah, they were in JP. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so that led to like other students? And you just yeah, had like little they were like higher ups in like the Boston community. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so one family led to another family, led to another family. Sure, so, that's how it yeah. goes, yeah. Cool. And then what about musically, like outside of school? Like what were you up to? Um, I actually did more outside of school than I did like in school. Mm-hmm. And some of my grades suffered from it from just it, yeah. because I was, I, I did two internships. First one was for an artist visa um, company. Mm-hmm. The second one was for a studio in Quincy. Mm-hmm. And I was just engineering. I was you know assisting on the sessions. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like doing whatever they needed me to do. Sure. Um, and so I was mostly there mm-hmm. than I was at school. Right, right. Um, so was that like generating like some income for you at all during at that a time? A little bit, little yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't technically like an employee of the right. studio, so they couldn't like give me a check every session. Right. But there were some sessions when I would be like the head engineer after a certain point when I learned like the signal flow of the studio and mm-hmm. I learned how, you know, because they had a a control 24 digital console so i mm-hmm. learned how to use that kind of like the the vibe that the head guy wanted mm-hmm. to go for so i i engineered a lot of i guess sessions that he was the head engineer on but i was the one setting up and tearing down right. so i get paid for that okay cool and then um so did you graduate within like with four years did you do like classic four well four and then like one semester after Okay, cool. And then when you graduated, did you stay in Boston or what was your plan? I stayed in Boston and I did the GB thing. And then 2014, I went to Cancun to live with my dad. Okay, so let's talk about the GB thing. So how long were you in Boston doing that before you went to Cancun? Two years, like two and a half years. Okay, so... um, How did you get connected with like your first GB band? Uh, my friend Victor Hernandez, he plays drums. Mm-hmm. He was in a band called Downtown Boston or Downtown Fever. Mm-hmm. 
and um, they're not a band anymore in Boston, mm-hmm. but he, um, one of our friends was leaving to go to New York. She was the female singer, and they had auditioned like 17 people at that point. So yeah. he, um, I, I didn't really know about the GB scene. I wasn't really sure of it. I was like, I think people do weddings. I don't right. really know. Yeah. And so then he asked me if I'd be down to audition, and I, mm-hmm. I did. So then they gave me the spot. Okay, cool. And so did that um, enable you to like basically start working as a professional musician like basically right away out of school or did you have to like... I was working for weddings and stuff while I was still in school. Oh, so you were already doing GB stuff yeah, when you were... Yeah, that started like my junior year at Berkeley. Okay, and then how did you get pulled into that? Like who pulled you into that? That was him and then um, the manager of that band, he and I were already So friends. were you just like subbing in that band a little bit or... Actually, no, I, I like full on. You were full, took yeah. a gig. Okay. Like, I did one gig with the girl who was leaving. Uh huh. And kind of like, she showed me the ropes about like a wedding and like how it's supposed to go. Yeah. And then from there, it was like, bam, every weekend okay. I was on weddings. Yeah. So, so it's not, so that's like a, a good baseline income. Like, that's enough mm-hmm. to keep your head above the water. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was like, what? It was like, at the time, it was like 12000 a year, which is like right. not that much, but. Right. It's something for somebody who is still in college. Right, absolutely, yeah. And then when you graduated from school, so you basically started, did you do it more with different bands as well? or? Yeah, I started getting to a point. So there were like a lot of different things I was doing musically. I Mm -hmm. was teaching, I was interning, but then I was also getting paid to do my own projects Mm -hmm. and produce for people. Yeah. Um, Whether they found me like through Berkeley or SoundCloud or Mm -hmm. wherever or word of mouth a lot of times. Right. They would Can you actually me, just stop? What does that mean when you say produce for people? Like, what does that entail? It it depends. It's really case by case, I uh-huh. guess. So when you when I produce for somebody, it's either I'm like booking the session players, getting the arrangements together with mm-hmm. the artist. Some of some of the artists I work with didn't have like any ideas except for like chord progressions. Okay. So I would like fully write with. So them. you'd help them like build the track. Yeah. Yeah. We build the track. We do MIDI mockups. And then I would do all of the logistic stuff, like booking the studio and figuring out where to even book. Right. Some people wanted to record like in Brooklyn. Some people wanted to record here. Right. Um, it kind of was like everywhere, but it was really case by case. Right. Um, cool. So you're so you're so you're teaching. You're doing some GV stuff. You're helping people like book sessions. You're producing on sessions. Were you engineering at all? Would you engineer those sessions you produced? Um, some of them, but usually I didn't want to focus on that because right. engineering is a whole a other whole beast. Other, yeah. Yeah. And I can do it, right. but I understand like a patch bay and how to work like a console. Basically, I can come into a studio and look at it and like know where things go. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to focus on that. I mm-hmm. wanted to focus on like the creative side of it. So okay. I would usually hire um, like one or two people mm-hmm. to do the session. Right. So it kind of ate into my pocket a little bit, but at the end of the day, it sounded way better than what I know I could have sure, done. Sure, sure. And um, and then so yeah, and so you were doing a couple like you mentioned you were doing one GB band, but also there was you did that start to branch out or like yeah. So basically, if you're like a reliable female in the GB industry yeah. here or community here, yeah. Once one band knows about you, they all know about you. Yeah. And which is great, you know, because it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I, I started getting to a point where you know, so-and-so from this band had heard us at this club Mm -hmm. or they had heard this from this drummer that I was, you know, whatever I was. And so they called me. 
Um, and so that's how it kind of like grew, I guess. Yeah. Cool. So I should probably just say here that like, like we met on a GB like last summer and I was like blown away that like this was a singer you could like, like killing the Taylor Swift thing and you were like killing the Aretha thing and you like did like the rap on like Waterfall. It was like you were like four GB singers (laughs) in one or something. It was... singers in general yeah. like it's at least what I've found is yeah. like a lot of singers think that they only have to listen to the vocals mm-hmm. but to be a singer and to live in a musician's world you have to listen to everything like the two things that I mainly listen to is not the vocals I listen to the drums and the bass mm. because one that tells you the key tells you the tempo tells you the groove right and then from there that's like kind of all the information you need like I could do a gig with and I have with just drums, keys, and bass, right. and me on vocals, right. and I think that's a really important thing for a lot of vocalists, and even like people who don't sing, to understand is like that has to be like simpatico. Yeah, you know what I mean? absolutely. Like, like you can't be a drummer or anything and not listen to the vocals. That's right. like the worst thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, you know, unless you're in an instrumental band, obviously, right. then right. do whatever you want. But um, I think that that like was something I definitely learned for sure Yeah, being in that and more and more people have come to me saying the same thing that you said and right. I'm not trying to toot my own horn but right. it's because I know when to not sing Right. same thing I know when to not play my instrument Right. Right. and that I think is more important than anything else right you know? I would say from a drum perspective too like it's like you know listening to the vocals is so key to like make sure the tempo is right and the mm-hmm. groove is sitting right because mm-hmm. i can tell like a vocalist is like rushing on the words mm-hmm. then they it's usually like, do well the tempo can be that might mean that i'm like the tempo i counted off like a little bit too fast and it mm-hmm. needs to like lay back into its pocket to like yeah. so that you can get all the words out or or that kind of thing and i'm always amazed like playing with great i played with a great horn player the other night who was like so locked in it was like he was locked in we were locked in together but i felt like it was more from like him coming to me mm-hmm. i was like wow he's like an older like much more experienced like well-known player but i was like it felt so good like playing with a yeah. tenor saxophone player yeah. it was a kind of amazing feeling but it all um, comes down to just listening you yeah, know yeah just stop like stop that was a big thing at berkeley i was like stop trying to just talk and make noise like listen to what's going on around you because Mm -hmm. the people that you surround yourself with are the people they're an you're an average of those five people Mm -hmm. and so like i wanted to be around people who challenged me people who made me shut up basically Mm -hmm. and like realize wow i need to go home and practice yeah yeah (laughs) excellent excellent so let's talk a little bit about your your new project um uh the china fox thing so Mm -hmm. let's can you just give like a basic history of like what you've done up to this point with that project? Um, that was something I had going on through Berkeley too, but uh-huh. it was more of a band at the like a live band. Live band, yeah. Um, at Berkeley, and I did a lot of gigs, like you know, at the Red Room and stuff like that. But now it's kind of become like I did a lot of gigs throughout Berkeley under like the name China Fox. I did a lot of production, mm-hmm. but now it's kind of becoming what I always wanted it to be was original artistry mm-hmm. and I always wanted to be I never wanted to be like famous or anything like right. that but I always wanted China Fox to be like the name mm-hmm. that I use for any musical thing I do even if it's not music even right. if I do video dig videography on something or, right you know what I mean yep um so 
like what original like what have you released under that name so far like what's out there um i did i mean i've i sang on a lot of people's so another another way that I've made money through mm-hmm. music is this website called airgigs.com. Okay. And they have it's essentially like a Fiverr. I don't know if you've seen Fiverr, but no. there are these gig to gig service websites. Okay. Where you say like if you're a drummer, you say I can record six drum tracks for two hundred dollars. Right. In the span of twelve days, mm-hmm. and people will pay you for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing like the past year and a half or so and i've Mm -hmm. made like a pretty i mean i've made like three thousand dollars from it cool um and so each of those like it's cool because you name your price you name like your your deadline right and then you name what the service is right um and so i've sang on like a lot of little projects like that for that yeah um and then i sang on like i've been i've done like background arrange background vocal arrangements for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um and then i did on my own i've released I released um, an EP while I was at Berkeley, mm-hmm. and then throughout like the past three years, it's just been like singles or like smaller, right? Um, little samples of right. work, I guess. And uh, on like, so are you doing like on the more recent singles you put out? Are you doing all? Do you do the track and like the complete production, or did you like collaborate with someone else? Um, I collaborate with this guy named Gabe Serengo mm-hmm. on the last one that I did, just because he is like a beat making god and mm-hmm. so i was like i'm gonna let him do it handle that because yeah. my my forte is like vocal production right okay and i would rather focus more on that and like the writing side of it than right. like you know than like oh put this 808 here like i can right. do that and i like doing it but right. it takes me way more time right you know? okay and then is that the track that was like recently like featured on the spotify playlist yeah and um, and how did that work you, you submit it to spotify and then did so, they contact you or? Well, the the way it happens is all of these services, all of these platforms, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Vivo, all of these platforms are in partnership with somebody. Like mm-hmm. somebody's got to get them content. Right. So the way they do that is through um, campaign services called like Streamify or TuneCore, which mm-hmm. you may have heard of, mm-hmm. CD Baby. Yeah. Um, and so those websites help basically the average musician or independent artists get their songs on a bigger more uh, widespread professional platform right so i submitted that song through TuneCore, and mm-hmm. they set up like a campaign okay. for a certain amount of money right and a certain amount of days right so that's how it worked and then basically spotify kind of categorizes all the songs by plays or streams right so once you reach like let's say you break ten thousand streams right. you're in like a new category right. of song okay um and that's how they differentiate like the major label artists from like independent, independent artists, artists. Yeah. yeah so does that basically mean like you'll they might like recommend you like if you like this and oh yeah the, so it might recommend you next as opposed yeah. to someone else that's okay. how it happened i mean i didn't ask them to put me on those playlists right. at all it was just once i reached a certain amount of plays organically yeah then somebody from spotify was like oh this is a cool song and they threw it onto their mm. other two playlists okay. So what were you what were you up to out in out in LA last week? Um, I did some sessions with Tommy Hits, mm-hmm. um, just to see kind of if we vibed and like what the you know whole energy was, and um, he gave me like six or seven tracks to just top line and see where we could go with it. So I did that, and then I was just networking networking with people, and then um, I did a couple gigs out there too. Okay, cool. 
Um, and so, like, what else do you have coming up this fall? Like, what's going on? Um, I'm trying to release a new song, a new single, like, every month mm-hmm. for the rest of the year, as well as, like, a video, either on Vivo or, or some, you know, platform like that. Um, and I'm trying to, basically, I'd like to be, like, a female Chance the Rapper mm-hmm. and not use any record labels to release music or... Right or get to be known and it's a very hard thing to do mm-hmm. but it's not impossible yeah, because absolutely. he does it yeah you know sure and um so two more quick questions one is like what are you listening to right now like what interests you musically what interests me musically um i always listen to songs for the production so mm-hmm. i listen to a lot of like alternative r&b like mm-hmm. deep 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 r&b like not like luther vandross or like old school stuff like that right. i listen to more like party next door um a lot of like drake's producers um noah 40 i guess his stuff i mm-hmm. listen to a lot of um stuff that is electronic but still has like a, a certain vibe and energy to it i mm-hmm. guess um that's very like it feels nostalgic in a way because it's got that R&B like soul sound to Five, it, yeah. but it's still modern. Okay. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to now. Cool. And do you have any uh, post-gig rituals? Post-gig rituals. Take my shoes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I always try to warm down. Okay. Because people always talk about warming up. Right. Warming up your voice or your hands or whatever whatever right. it is that plays your instrument. Right. Um, and so I always try to warm down. And that that's just like doing little exercises that kind of like soften like the blow of a gig to to my voice um so i guess i think that's it and i also usually don't listen to any music not afterwards yeah you're done yeah Yeah. (laughs) cool well uh uh candy thank you so much for uh taking the time to do this i really appreciate it yeah of course This episode was produced and edited by me. The theme song was a collaboration between Matt Pendergast and myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansifepodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at musicianlifepod. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. And remember, time with music is time well spent.